a scientist, not a philosopher. You have more chance of reanimating this scalpel than you have of mending a broken nervous system. But what about your grandfather's work, sir? My grandfather's work was doo-doo! Hey, cassettes, and welcome back to the Bookcase Diaries! Ghost. We're three old monsters learning everything <laughs> we can about movies and TV and hopefully teaching you in the process. I'm Marcy. I'm Robin. And I'm Adam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, in December of 1974, comedy fans were treated to the latest parody by Mel Brooks. It was a farce poking fun at possibly the most classic horror story in English literature. The book that jump-started the science fiction genre and made Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley a household name. Frankenstein. Uh, oh, man. How many times have we touched on this story? On Frankenstein? Yeah. Oh, man. Quite a few. Yeah. And especially the Universal Monsters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did a Universal but, like, Monsters episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was a two-parter. It was fun. It was a two-parter. Yeah, it was. But, <laughs> but this story is so ingrained that yes, we, we did Frank and Wayne also a bunch. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Brooks first saw James Whale's Frankenstein when he was just five years old, and he found it to be a fairly traumatic experience, haunting him for years to come. Oh, yeah, <laughs> this was such a sweet story. He went to the theater with his older brother. Aww. He was only five years old, and Aww. his mom was a single mom. She had like four kids and she was like, get him out of here. Yeah, it's 1931. Oh, <laughs> She's like, I don't care if the movie's scary. No, Take him no to the theater. No kids in my sight. Yeah. <laughs> and so he goes to the movies with his brother and that night his mom comes in and it's the summer. Okay. And, uh, She's like, we need to open the window. And he's like, no, mom, we can't open the window oh. because uh, Frankenstein will eat me. And oh. she was like, oh, okay, let's think about this logically. Uh, the monster lives in Transylvania, which means he's going to have to find a way to travel to New York. And do you really think he's going to come to New York? Yeah. Like, if he gets on if he gets on the boat, <laughs> is it really going to take him straight here? It probably won't. It'll probably take him to, like, Miami. And then he'd have to get on a, a train. And then he'd have to take a train. Yeah. And she goes through this whole thing, like... Of, she used logic. <laughs> so, like... the monster would have to go through. And she goes, and even if he got here in New York and came to our building, do you think he would climb all the way up to your window to eat you? you if he was hungry he would just go to the first window that's open on the first floor yeah yep. <laughs> and he was like that made sense so i was okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, that's amazing that, that's a great way to explain it yeah away. <laughs> so that's where he gets his storytelling ability <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah oh my gosh oh it turned out that gene wilder brooks's friend and collaborator had a similar experience So when Wilder approached Brooks about a possible project parodying the horror classic, the men got started on what Mel Brooks would consider their biggest triumph together. Wilder had already named the film Young Frankenstein, taking little inspiration from the 1940 film Young Tom Edison, which he saw as a child. He created an outline based on what he thought would happen if he were the grandson of Victor Frankenstein. He had several pages written before Mel Brooks got involved, and together they created one of the most beloved comedies of all time. So, grab your lab coat and let's all head down to Dr. Frankenstein's, it's, pro- it's pronounced Frankenstein, 
Laboratory, where we'll learn the electrifying history of young Frankenstein. Yay! (laughs) The Gene Wilder parody movie that hung around my house was the Western one. Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles. Because that's one of my dad's go-to comedies. (laughs) So I had seen that one, Mm -hmm. but never really continued to look for more you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah yeah so so it just i knew of the movie because it was popular and you know i'd heard the name over and over but i want to say that i saw it for the first time probably here or at a previous yeah i mean residence. i think maybe mm. at in our apartment yeah, in Athens. I, I think say. that might have been oh, when nice. when when you saw it i because mm-hmm. i remember watching it with you but i didn't i don't, I don't remember that being your first time yeah i want to say it was but yeah. i mean it's possible i saw it before that yeah but mm-hmm. yeah i don't think so cool so for me our household had space balls was more mm. <laughs> what yeah. played over and over again that we enjoyed but for young Frankenstein, I think I originally heard about it from you, Robin. But wow. I think <laughs> I, I think I, I might have watched it by myself one time. Like mm-hmm, you know, like mm-hmm. yeah. So I mean, I remember it being very funny the first time I watched mm-hmm. it. It was mm-hmm. like oh yeah. And I mean, I've always liked Gene Wilder. I thought he was a great, yes. he's it's, a great actor. Yeah. So it, it's yeah. so fun to watch him do mm-hmm. these movies because. Yeah. It's he's so like straight faced about it, yeah. like you know, not yep. cracking up at his own stuff. It's not <laughs> mm-hmm. like like saying a punchline. It's yeah. just the yeah. scenario. Yeah, is just funny, man. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, just... he was a very sincere actor, and Mel Brooks said that he didn't know he was funny. Oh. You know, when he met him for the first time, he was playing a part in, in a play, mm-hmm. and the audience was laughing, and he legitimately walked off stage. And he was like, why are they laughing? <laughs> like, he, he was like, yeah. I don't. He just that. had perfect timing. Yeah, perfect, he, like, he, he just, just didn't understand what was funny about him. Like, he, you know, he, <laughs> it was like he just kind of didn't get it. Like, he knew yeah. he was funny, but he didn't know how funny he was. Yeah. Um, I first saw this movie as a kid, but I don't remember when, because mm. this is one. Like, you watch that, Spaceballs. It's yeah. so funny. You watch we Blazing Saddles. <laughs> In my house, it was Young Frankenstein. Um, we all got a different yeah, Mel Brooks experience. The, the other, I know the other movies did get played in my house. Yeah, like I, you know. Okay. But my dad really liked Young Frankenstein. Mm. So growing up, I always I heard these lines. Yeah. So often. Yeah. Like you know the part where. He says, I ain't got nobody. Mm-hmm. Nobody mm-hmm. cares for me. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. used to do that all the time. <laughs> yeah. We would like we would put our heads on like on the, the couch or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we would and just do, do that. We would Aww. do that all the time. I remember one time I did it. I was a little kid and I okay. did it and my grandmother was there. My Aww. and she goes, Oh no, Robin, that's not true. A oh. lot of people care about you. Oh no. <laughs> she thought Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> Oh, that oh, poor man. sweet woman. I was like, I had no idea. That's right, Grandma. Thanks. Yeah, thank you, Grandma. <laughs> Thanks, Grandma. Uh, my dad actually told me a story tonight about this. When he was in college, for one of his final exams in his journalism class, it was a really tough class. And the, for the final exam, he said, I want all of you to bring a dollar with you to class. And uh-huh. so everyone brought a dollar to class. Uh-huh. And he was like, okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take you to like this location, you're all going to interview somebody for a story. Then we're going to come back to class and you're going to have 40 minutes to write a full story on this interview. 
and he takes the class, you know, out and where, where he takes them is the Dollar Theater ah. near campus. Mm-hmm. He was like, "Actually, we're just going to go see this movie. Ah. This is this is your final oh exam." And the movie was Young Frankenstein. Oh, that's wow. so sweet! <laughs> and so they all had a dollar, so they all get in. Yeah. God, what a heart attack! <laughs> all right. So for those of you out there who haven't seen this wonderful movie, <laughs> definitely go check it out. But here is a quick summary for you. Scientist Frederick Frankenstein is desperate to remove himself from his infamous grandfather. When he gets called to Transylvania to collect his inheritance, he gets caught up in the same work that he once rebuked. With the help of his assistants, Igor and Inga, Frankenstein successfully reanimates a corpse, much to the anger and fear of the town. To make matters worse, Frederick's fiance surprises him by showing up at the castle and accidentally gets caught up in the madness. Don't like her that much. <laughs> she plays that character so well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And she I, does a great I think I, I laugh every single time mm-hmm. that first scene when they're saying goodbye on the yes. platform. <gasps> And, yes. he, and he goes to kiss her, and she goes, not on the lips, every time. Yeah, yeah. I know it's coming, but it's hair, so hair, funny. <laughs> so we're going to talk about the making of the movie. When Mel Brooks began filming Blazing Saddles, his lead actor became ill on set and needed to be hospitalized. He called his friend Gene Wilder, who had seen the script, and Wilder was on set the very next day, ready to fill in as Jim, a.k.a. the Waco Kid. It was during Blazing Saddles that Wilder started working on his idea for, for a Frankenstein parody, hoping that Brooks would be on board. Wilder wasn't sure that Brooks would want to direct a film that he didn't write himself. But at the urging of his agent, Wilder wrote up a treatment to give to his agent, Mike Metavoy, who then passed it off to producer Michael Greskoff. Greskoff wanted to produce the film even though there wasn't a script yet. That's where Mel Brooks came in he had noticed Wilder writing the story on a yellow legal pad on the set. Wilder told Brooks that his dream was to write the movie together and for Brooks to direct. According to Wilder, because Brooks was working on Blazing Saddles, he agreed to let Wilder write the script while he supervised. But after their first meeting on the script, the men decided to write it together. Wilder later said that Brooks taught him some of the most important lessons he would ever learn about screenwriting. Oh, yeah. nice. It's a great example of how two heads are better than one sometimes, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It's just yeah. like you can come up with a lot of good stuff, but you never know how so- somebody else is going to come at it, mm-hmm. you know, a different angle, and it could be way better than what you came up with. Yeah. Or- Wilder's original treatment was the scene where Igor and Dr. Frankenstein meet at the platform. It remained almost untouched in the final draft. Nice. You must be Igor. No, it's pronounced Igor. But they told me it was Igor. Well, they were wrong then, weren't they? I love the part when they're about to walk away and he's like, oh, allow me, sir. And he tries to lift that in case he can't lift it. So he takes the small bag. (laughs) Armed with James Whale's filmography and a legal pad, the two men spent every evening during Blazing Saddles in Wilder's hotel room working on the script. Brooks and Wilder were famously always on the same page, except when it came to one scene in the movie. Oh. I know. Wilder had this idea for the monster and Dr. Frankenstein to do a song and dance number to Putting on the Ritz. Oh, my goodness. 
At first, Mel Brooks dismissed the idea. He knew that it was funny, but he felt that it was too far outside of the parody to classic monster movies and that it didn't belong in the movie. Gene Wilder was blown away by this reaction because he was certain that Brooks would want to do the scene. Wow. He thought this was going to be... Uh, he was a like, this is a sure, sure idea. Yeah, he's, he's going to love would. this. And uh, Gene Wilder said like he could feel his face like turning Aww. turning red. He was so upset oh, that it, like, you know... He he probably like pictured it. Yeah. And yeah. Was like, oh man, I can see it now. This is gonna be so good. And then he's like, Nope, we're not doing it. Yeah, we're not gonna do that. Oh. Oh. Wilder fought for it, explaining that it would be a testament to how sophisticated the monster had become by the end of the movie. Brooks relented, saying that they would film the number, but if test audiences didn't like it, they would take it out of the final cut. So the way uh, Gene Wilder told this story, he said it was yeah. like. His face got red. He fought for it. And Mel Brooks went, okay. Oh. And Gene Wilder was like, uh, what? what was that? What was that? What? Why did you say no then? Yeah. yeah. And Mel Brooks said, I knew that if you really cared about it, you would fight for it. So since you fought for it, we'll do it. Oh. Mm. But. And it's a good thing because, I yeah. mean, <laughs> I like that scene a lot. Yes. Yeah. yeah. In the book, Young Frankenstein, the story of the making of the film, Mel Brooks said, of course, Gene was dead right because it took the movie to another level, our level. We left James Whale and we went where we wanted to be. That's what audiences were paying for. They weren't paying for a true artistic resemblance to James Whale's movies. They wanted to laugh. Yes. Yeah, I mean, this seems pretty classic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and honestly, up until that point... It does kind of follow the beats mm-hmm. that you would expect. I mean, yeah. they're still jokes yes. and funny bits yes. all over the place, but the beats of that Frank- classic Frankenstein story are still there mm-hmm. until yeah. you get to that point where it's like, okay, now it's getting different. It, it, it very much pays tribute to Frankenstein. Uh-huh. It's mm-hmm. it makes fun of it a little yeah. bit, and it's making fun of monster movies in a lot of and some some very like nuanced ways mm-hmm. you know sure. making fun of female tropes making fun of you know mm-hmm. one one dimensional characters making mm-hmm. fun yeah. of all kinds of stuff like that but also they are being so reverent to the idea of this horror movie and sure. like they they are making it still fairly scary fairly serious yeah. but you know obviously there's still like there's a joke you know? yeah. <laughs> a joke here a fourth wall break there yeah that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah so this was probably the first part where it is like it veers, kind of veers off a little bit here. The putting on the Ritz scene was filmed in the Mayfair Music Hall in Santa Monica. Filming lasted about five days, and choreographer Alan Johnson assisted with teaching Wilder and Peter Boyle the steps. Putting on the Ritz was written by Irving Berlin in 1927 and has been featured in many films since, including a 1930 movie of the same name. Yes, classic. Nice. Yes. Seen it many a time. Yeah. In order for the humor to shine through and make this a true parody, Brooks believed it needed to be in black and white. Producer Michael Gruskoff pitched the film to Columbia, who loved the idea, but didn't like the idea of it being in black and white, and also didn't want to provide the necessary budget of $2.3 million. Dude, that's such a small amount. (laughs) Like, compared to now, I just can't imagine a movie being made for $2.3 million. I know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Brooks told them that he wouldn't make the movie unless it was in black and white, and the studio tried to compromise by having Brooks shoot it in color and take the color out later. 
Brooks knew that this was not a compromise. It was a trick to get the film released in color. Ooh, oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah could that you makes imagine? Sense. Yeah. They yep. like maybe put it in the theater for like a couple of days in black and white or whatever. Yeah. But like, mm-hmm. oh, get go see it in color mm-hmm. now. He yeah. was like, if the color print exists, they gonna, will use it. I yeah. do. I know that they will. Yeah, because yeah. they're like nobody's gonna go see a black and white film. Yes, exactly. Even then. Exactly. That's what exactly what they were saying. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. because it was the 1970s. Yep, and it was like everyone is just now getting color TVs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like color you, movies have existed for a while yeah people do not want to go backwards mm-hmm. essentially yeah. was what yep. the how they saw it it was actually a really funny story about the columbia pitch because the guys were like yep we love it we love it great yeah and then right before they closed the door Melbrook said and we're shooting it in black and white and they shut the door <laughs> and he said those guys chased him down the hallway and they were like no you're not you're not doing that <laughs> That's awesome. Too late. I said it right before you. And it's black and white. Bye. Have a good night, everyone. Gruskoff approached Alan Ladd Jr. at 20th Century Fox, who agreed to make the film for whatever budget they needed. Ladd later said that he was worried about the black and white film because he knew that some theater owners wouldn't show a movie unless it was in color. But he kept that concern to himself and made the deal with Brooks. Ladd had seen Brooks's previous work, which is why he believed in the project, even though none of his movies had been monetarily successful. Mm. So uh, this is technically after Blazing Saddles, mm. but Blazing Saddles hasn't come out yet. Right. And Blazing Saddles was his first like hit. Mm-hmm. Like uh, he had made stuff that was popular or that had won awards, yeah, but didn't make money. That's one of the reasons why that studio wouldn't give them all the money that they needed. Uh. What makes Young Frankenstein stand apart from other comedies is that it's a beautiful period piece with masterful cinematography by Gerald Hirschfeld. What's so funny about it is that this movie is set in 1974, which is the year that it came out. But it is also a period piece because when they go to Transylvania, everything is 1931. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Originally, Hirschfeld thought that Brooks and Wilder wanted a movie that looked like the original Universal Monster films of the 30s and 40s so he followed the tradition of james whale dark and dramatic we've been saying james whale a lot and we have i know we've talked about him before mm-hmm. but he directed the original frankenstein in case anybody was wondering why we keep saying that yeah but after brooks saw the first few dailies which are examples of unedited footage often viewed on set during a production he told hirschfeld that it looked too similar Brooks wanted it to be in the spirit of James Whale, but goofier. It needed to have a silliness to it. So Hirschfeld changed the way that the film was processed, emphasizing the comical quality of the movie. Wide shots were moody and dramatic, while close-up shots were brighter. Brooks was much happier with the result and reportedly said, I'm glad I didn't fire you. <laughs> oh man! Uh, th- thanks. <laughs> okay. Cool. He was. He said, "I'm. You're lucky. I didn't leave." That's what he said. <laughs> oh, nice. Ooh, nice comeback. <laughs> Not only was Hirschfeld using lights and equipment that wasn't around in 1931, the lab that processed the film had not used black and white for at least six years. Nobody was making black and white movies in yeah. 1974. Nope. These were some of the challenges that he encountered while trying to reproduce the look and feel of James Wales's movies. 
The sets were also too dark for him to be able to light the scenes. So Hirschfeld asked the set designer to paint the walls lighter colors. Yeah, that w- it was one of the challenges was that, you know, it was too moody. Mm-hmm. It was too intense and they needed to make it a little lighter. Young Frankenstein was filmed on sets at 20th Century Fox for interior scenes and MGM's backlot for exterior shots. One scene was filmed in an actual lab at the University of Southern California. Dale Hennessy was the production designer. Gene Wilder was amazed by his work, saying that Hennessy would improve the script with his sets and that he worked in perfect harmony with the cinematographer. Together, they made everything seem real, which made the film feel more fun. Yeah. I I will say I did really enjoy hearing the the 20th century Fox music at the beginning again, just because it's Mm -hmm. been a while. Yeah. The castle was 15,000 square feet and 35 feet high. He worked closely with the set director, Robert D. Vestal, who filled the spaces with all the props that complete the look and feel of the set. Right. So it's every set you see, right? There's somebody who's lighting it. Mm-hmm. And then there's somebody who's building it. Yeah. And there's somebody who's filling it with the cups and the plates and the drapes and the candlesticks and mm-hmm. all, all the all the other props. things. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that would be the part that I would be so bad at. <laughs> like I could never come up with enough things to clutter a room. Ah, yes. Because mm. rooms are cluttered in this movie. Yeah. 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 <laughs> While building the sets, production manager Frank Bauer made the exciting discovery that Kenneth Strickfadden, the original special effects designer for James Whale's Frankenstein, lived nearby and housed all the original equipment in his garage. Ooh, that's pretty lucky. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, that is, I mean, he's not only is he still alive, yeah. he's <laughs> but... got all the equipment just right there. Yeah. yeah. The team went on a scouting mission to see it, causing Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder to become overwhelmed with excitement. This film that had affected them so much as children was coming alive in front of them. They were, I mean, you imagine what that would be like. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like a movie that you saw when you were a little kid and had such a big effect on you. And then Mm. you just walk into this guy's garage and it's (laughs) like, and this is it. Like, this is everything. Everything's there. (laughs) And then, you know, they built that laboratory set and they put all these in that set and they were like, all that's missing is Dr. Frankenstein himself. Strickfadden agreed to rent the equipment to the production, and he would appear on set to watch the scenes that involved his work. Yeah, he was off set, like, fixing stuff for him and so That's amazing. (laughs) He later said that most of the pieces used in the laboratory scenes in Young Frankenstein were remnants of the originals, and some were reproductions. He said there were things that had burned down over the years. Oh, bummer. (laughs) All that electrical equipment, yeah. For sure. (laughs) But it's great because it looks Mm -hmm. kind of like Mm -hmm. old already. Yes. Because when they first get there, it's all covered in spider webs. It's like a mess. They have this really cool, like almost like spine chilling scene Mm -hmm. where, you know, they have this this nonsense with the bookcase and they're going down the stairs and then they flip on the lights yep. and they spark in the, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> they show this like sweeping view of the laboratory for the first time. Yeah. And he's kind of in awe and you hear the original audio from, from the first movie. Mm-hmm. And it's this kind of sweet moment. And then he's like, yeah. what a mess. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
What a filthy mess. I don't know. A little paint, a few flowers, a couple of throw pillows. Good stuff. It's like, it's like uh, Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder's, Wilder's creature. Yeah. Their very own creature. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. The set is its own creature. There were more special effects in this movie than any other that Mel Brooks had made at the time. In one scene, a little girl goes flying through the air. She she was actually rigged to a harness and pulled across the set. (laughs) The wire was painted to match the surroundings so the audience didn't see it. Do you think she had fun or was scared? (laughs) (laughs) I think she probably had a good time. I think so, so. too. I think so, too. Yeah. I mean, I hope so. (laughs) There was almost no fire on the set. The logs and fireplaces were made of concrete. The candles that the actors held were made of aluminum pipe with a 100-watt bulb inside. A wire ran down the sleeves and pant legs of the actors so as to keep bringing electricity to the candles. All over the set, there were strips of fabric dangling in front of lights to give off the illusion that candlelight was flickering against the walls. Wow, what a cool trick. That's so cool. Oh, man. I gotta pay closer attention. <laughs> I can't believe that as Gene Wilder is holding that candle and yeah. is walking down or whatever, mm-hmm. he has a wire going down going his sleeve, all the way down, yeah. all the way down his <laughs> leg. Yeah, it. It's funny because I did notice once or twice that some of the candles, if you look in the background, mm-hmm. are clearly like if you look right at the candle, it's clearly yeah. not a live flame. Yeah, it's yeah. clearly a bulb. It's like st- <laughs> it's perfectly still. Mm-hmm. But I got to thinking it kind of works because have you guys ever seen like if you get a big candle with a mm. long wick, sometimes yeah. the flame doesn't move. Yeah. It's yeah. like creepily still. Yeah. And it's like, you know what? It kind of works, especially yeah. in black and white. You can't really exactly tell. exactly tell. Yeah. yeah like when they're all, they're all bulbs all of them and yeah. like they they're blown out in a lot of the scenes mm-hmm. so you can't tell that it's a yeah. bulb As, yeah. yeah man dorothy jeekins the costume designer for the sound of music designed the costumes for young frankenstein mel brooks considered her to be the greatest period costume designer in hollywood and he was also adamant that they hire her for this film The production had access to an MGM set for the village scenes, and the set was in a bohemian style. So Jeekins designed the villagers' costumes accordingly. Yeah. He was like, the set's bohemian. She was like, bohemian costumes. Gotcha. (laughs) There you are. (laughs) Coming right up. (laughs) Ah, gotcha. They all look great. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone looks good. It's very... it's very simple, Mm -hmm. but like we were saying before, this place feels like it didn't move on mm-hmm. like yeah it, time stops it's in transylvania in, it's stuck in place so yeah. it's it's so believable mm-hmm. <laughs> brooks also asked jeekins to design the female leads costumes to show as much cleavage as they were allowed this was meant to poke fun at the costumes and films made before the production code uh, you guys remember I about see. the production code yeah. we talked about we that, did a whole right? episode about <laughs> about that stuff yeah i see he said he mel brooks said in 1931 they got away with a lot more than we could in 1974 yep yep, yep. <laughs> this looks like a lot just think about what it used to be <laughs> I mean, look at those knockers. Oh. Yeah, so cute, doctor. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> 
William Tuttle, a makeup artist that had worked on The Twilight Zone, was thrilled when Brooks told him that the film would be in black and white. Tuttle actually hugged Brooks and told him that if the movie were in color, the monster would be a blue-green color and would look ridiculous. Without color, his skin looks sickly pale instead. Oh, it's perfect. His skin looks beautiful in yeah. black and white. That perfect, like, yes. clearly yeah. a corpse. Yeah. yeah. Or was a corpse. That's it. He was so happy. He was like, it's going to look so much better in yeah. black and white. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In addition to some stitching, there is a zipper on the monster's neck that Tuttle added at Mel Brooks's request. If you guys ever noticed yes, the zipper I on his did. neck. did, <laughs> especially this time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real zipper. Yeah. Shoot, I don't know if I did notice that. Yeah, so he could, I guess he could just unzip him and put new stuff in there. <laughs> Tuttle designed the special effects scene when the monster is first electrocuted. Uh, he created a mask of Boyle's face and placed a green light bulb on a dimmer inside. This makes it look like the face glows from the inside. Wow. Yeah, it is a wild effect. Yeah. Yeah. What's cool is that it's practical. It's practical. Because, yeah, it's practical. Because it, it's the one shot in the movie that looks kind of like a post-digital kind of effect. Yeah. But it isn't, and nope. that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> they said a lot of people wondered how they did that. Mm-hmm. By all accounts, filming Young Frankenstein was a lot of fun. The cast and crew would often cut for laughing fits after certain scenes, and one of the camera operators even ruined a take by laughing so hard that he jiggled the camera. Oh, no. (laughs) This was largely due to the incredible chemistry of the cast. Oh, man. I've got to look up bloopers. Dang it. This is, yeah, this was an unbelievably talented cast. This was a lot of really talented people Mm -hmm. in one place, and they all got along, and it was just like... They just, they had such a great time. Aww. You know, they said, you know, as filming was wrapping up, Gene Wilder was saying to Mel Brooks, like, hey, I have an idea. Well, we could do this and we could change that. And, and, yeah. and Mel Brooks said, Gene, Gene, it's done. The movie's over. <laughs> Relax, we, we, man. We, yeah. we did it. It's got a beginning, a middle, and end. It's time to move on. <laughs> and Gene Wilder, he said he sat down on the bed and he put his face in his hands and he said, Aww. Mel, I just don't want it to be over. I, I don't Aww. I don't want to go home. I, I, I'm just I love this so much well yep. he should have made sequels More movies. Right there. <laughs> yeah. let's make he one two and three yeah. right now he start, should have started proposing the next movie yeah. right there in his book Young Frankenstein the story of the making of the film Mel Brooks described Gene Wilder as the quote most natural actor who ever lived he was a natural born comedian, an actor who would play roles seriously, but who had no idea how funny he was, which meant he was perfect for parody. Gene Wilder not only co-wrote and starred in the movie, he also cast some of the actors. As it turned out, Wilder's agent, Mike Metavoy, called him one day and asked him if he had any projects for him, Marty Feldman, and Peter Boyle to be in together. When Wilder asked why, Metavoy said, that he had just started representing all three of them. Oh, nice. Oh, my God. Wilder said, well, what an artistic basis. As it happens, I think I do. <laughs> wow. Man. Nice. Hey, that was a good week for, for that guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's oh, true. I just got these guys. Boom. All of them in a movie. All of them in one movie. In one day. It's already written. Like, all right. Yeah. yeah. Here we go. Easy. Marty Feldman played Igor, or Igor, if you prefer. Gene Wilder considered Marty Feldman's Igor to be the heart and soul of the production. He felt that Feldman embodied the strangeness of the story as he brought his own interpretation of classic monster movies with him on set. 
Marty Feldman was a beloved British comedian, and this was his first Hollywood film. He was very nervous. Feldman later said that Gene Wilder had Oliver Hardy energy, which forced Feldman to act as if he were Stan Laurel. And knowing what we know about Laurel and Hardy, I completely agree with that. That makes yeah. complete sense. If you watch this movie, you totally get it. Uh, Gene Wilder has this very, I'm in charge. <laughs> yep. I'm smart. Mm-hmm. Marty Feldman kind of undertakes the bumbling, quieter person mm-hmm. who is just kind of a lot of physical comedy and a lot yep. of, you know, like the scene where he breaks in to the lab to steal the brains. yes. yes. And he is afraid of his own hand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All of that, like, that is very Stan Laurel energy. Like, that yeah, yeah. is very much yeah. not saying anything, just, you yeah. know, kind of. And then the Abby Normal. Yes. Oh, I could totally mm-hmm. hear him doing right? that, too. Yeah. Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry. I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. Feldman's Igor costume consisted of a hump made from a cushion that was generally used to to simulate pregnancy in films. (laughs) He had wads of tissues balled up in his knees to make them look as knobby as possible. The most distinctive features of Feldman were his eyes, which became his trademark. This was the result of a thyroid condition. Today, we might know Peter Boyle more as Frank Barone in Everybody Loves Raymond, but at the start of his career, he played tough, serious characters. Yeah, you know how he was kind of known for yelling in things? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, and like in the beginning of his career, he was kind of serious. Mm-hmm. Mel Brooks wasn't so sure about Boyle until Gene Wilder assured him that he could play both tough and gentle. The monster character needed to be scary, but also have a childlike quality to him. Boyle's makeup took about five hours to apply, but he never complained. His platform boots added about six inches to his six-foot-two-inch frame, making him tower over the other actors. I know. That's crazy. (laughs) It's definitely very visible during the putting on the Ritz scene. How big and tall he is. Because, yeah, when he's dancing next to Gene Wilder, it's like, whoa, (laughs) you are a tall guy. (laughs) In other shots, it's kind of, you know, you could mistake it for perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And him laying on the table. It's like, okay. Exactly. Not quite sure. But when they're standing there next to each other, dancing, whatever, yeah, he's huge. Yeah. And Peter Boyle, like, there's the scene when he kind of first wakes up mm-hmm. and he kind of starts to, like, act like he's catching butterflies. Yes. <laughs> I, and that, <laughs> like, he totally made that up. Like, that was him yeah. doing that. Yeah. And Aww. he was like, I just, I had to play the character like a child who was just born, but yeah. is in, a, in this giant body. Yep. Like, that's basically who mm-hmm. the monster is. Like, yep. you know, he's confused, doesn't really know what's going on. Yeah. Gene Wilder thought that Madeline Kahn would be great to play Inga, the lab assistant. But the actress wanted the part of Elizabeth, Dr. Frankenstein's fiance, instead. Yeah, he thought that Inga was a better part. But then when he saw how Madeline Kahn played this mm-hmm. part, he was like, never mind. <laughs> right. <laughs> Madeline Kahn had also just appeared in Blazing Saddles, earning herself an Oscar nomination, and she was a favorite actor of Mel Brooks. 
Elizabeth was a hilarious addition to the story. The fiancé who cares more about her appearance than the fact that her fiancé has reanimated a corpse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hello. Yeah. She's a little self-involved. Yeah, a and little she's, bit. And she's so, like, they're kind of epitomizing this whole thing where it's mm-hmm. like, the, the sexual tease. Yes. You yeah. know, like, like no yeah. tongue. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah, the sexual tease in, like, these movies where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, yes, no, I wouldn't, but we can't, we mustn't, yeah. you know. Yeah. Not yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Won't it be sexier to wait? In her most famous and possibly most controversial scene, Khan's Elizabeth is kidnapped and taken to the forest where she and the monster have a sexy time. Yeah. To some, the scene is triggering because it seems clear that Elizabeth knows what the monster wants to do, and she seems unconsenting. But as the scene plays out, Elizabeth breaks into song because of how much she's enjoying it. Later on, we see both characters comically enjoying post-sex cigarettes, implying that they both enjoyed themselves. This scene's a little weird. It is. It's it's weird. I mean, I don't love it. Yeah. It was a different time, Mm -hmm. and the scene's fine if you just make it seem like she wants to do it. Yeah. From the beginning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe the joke is that they put, like, a quote-unquote celebrity face on him. So so she's immediately like, oh, look at how handsome he is, like, yeah. from the start, even though he's a big monster. Yeah. Uh, so, who knows? I don't know. Yeah. Terry Garr played Inga, Frederick Frankenstein's lab assistant. Originally, she auditioned for the part of Elizabeth, but Mel Brooks told her that Madeline Kahn was his first choice. According to Garr, Gene Wilder told her to come back the next day with a German accent and audition for the part of Inga. Gar was currently on the Sonny and Cher Comedy Hour and knew a German woman that styled Cher's wigs. She spoke with her for hours to get the accent down. I think it's very well done. (laughs) But it's in that way where it's like... like Exaggerated. It's a little... Yeah, it's exaggerated, but it's not like... So, so far mm-hmm, off. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. It's not like super jokey German. Yeah. Where yeah. she's saying Guten Tag all the time mm-hmm. or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Gar also knew that they wanted Inga to have large breasts. So she wore a padded bra stuffed with, so- <laughs> stuffed with socks to the audition. <laughs> <laughs> she got the part and it was her first major speaking role. Before Young Frankenstein, Gar was a professional dancer and appeared in Elvis movies. Yeah. Oh, huh. nice. This is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, she said that when she read the part, it was clear to her that one thing that was very important about this character was that she needed <laughs> to be well-endowed. She, uh, and I, yep. I, I, a lot of that, again, being them just kind of poking fun at, yeah. you know. Sure. Th- historically, old sci-fi mm-hmm. has always done a, a kind of a bad job of uh, exploiting women. That's just kind Ooh, of like, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know. Cloris Leachman played the cold and frightful Frau Blucher. <laughs> Mel Brooks said that Leachman's accent was perfect from the very beginning, and her performance is based on the infamous character Mrs. Danvers in Alfred Hitchcock's Rebecca. Leachman was currently starring alongside Mary Tyler Moore in The Mary Tyler Moore Show when she played this part. 
William Tuttle created a huge mold to place on her face and made the actor look much older than she actually was. Yeah. So <laughs> if you watch Mary Tyler Moore, which yep. is happening, I mean, yeah, that's like season four, basically. Okay. It's like right in the thick of it. Yeah, yeah. Mary Tyler Moore and then this movie. It's like it's not even the <laughs> same person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're like, dude, Cloris Leachman just really understood comedy very yeah. well. And yes, yes. one of the things that with this movie, if you watch bloopers, she will be <laughs> so straight. Like she will yeah. she mm -hmm. doesn't she never breaks. Like she Amazing. is I mean, she can always do it. Yeah. But Gene Wilder will start laughing at her. <laughs> and there's this one where she goes, Aw, Gene, stop laughing at me. You're ruining the takes. <laughs> oh, I, it's so funny when <laughs> they first get to the castle and she brings her to uh, the bedroom. Would the doctor care for a brandy before retiring? No. Thank you. Some warm milk? Perhaps. No, thank you very much. No thanks. Ovaltine. Yeah. Ovaltine? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, Ovaltine. <laughs> and I guess in oh. that scene, too, apparently uh, he wasn't like supposed to get mad. Mm -hmm. Like, that wasn't like in the oh. script. Uh -huh. So she actually was shocked that he did it. And if you notice in the movie, you see her jump a little mm -hmm. bit because she didn't expect it. Yeah. And so, like, he, he yells in the scene. <sighs> and she was like, and I had to, like, take the scene back, basically. Yeah. Like, I had to, like, recommand the scene. Mm -hmm. yep. And then I had to say Ovaltine. And I said <sighs> cut. And I was like, who wrote this? Like, this is, <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and then... And then actually in that same scene, I think, she as she finally walks away, she like yeah. stops at the painting. And you see it in the reflection. Oh, yeah. The mirror. She's like, good night. Like, <laughs> yeah. Kisses the good night, painting. Good my love. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she had no trouble playing the character completely straight. But the moment that Brooks yelled cut, she would break into laughter with the rest of her castmates. <laughs> That's that's got to be so hard. I don't think I could do that. Leachman learned her German accent from Mel Brooks's mother, who spoke German and was there on set. Yeah. Nice. Kenneth Mars played the unforgettable Inspector Kemp, the policeman tasked with spying on Frankenstein and making sure he isn't following his grandfather's footsteps. According to Mars, he was doing a play in Buffalo when Mel Brooks called him up and asked him to be in Young Frankenstein. Mel said, you're wearing an eye patch, and on top of that eye patch, you've got a monocle. <laughs> Is that too much? And when Mars said no, it wasn't too much, Brooks responded with, good, you got the part. <laughs> when Gene Hackman heard about Young Frankenstein, he asked Gene Wilder if he could have a small role. The only role they had left to cast was of the hermit. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Even though Hackman was a fairly popular actor at the time, no one in the audience recognized him. William Tuttle practically transformed him with a massive beard. Composer John Morris wrote the score for the film. Mel Brooks told Morris that writing horror music would be totally inappropriate for the main character. Instead, he asked for the most beautiful Eastern European lullaby that he could write. 
This violin piece represented the child inside the monster. Later on, Mel Brooks said that John Morris gave the movie its soul. This piece of music is so pretty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the mere fact that it's in this movie makes it like comical. Like if you were going to listen to it by itself, it's like, God, it's so pretty. But I know what it's from. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that just makes it, you know what I mean? Yeah, have Seriously. a humor. Yeah, yeah. But it is it is. It's such a nice piece of music. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I love it. I love, <laughs> I love that they all play the violin in this movie. Yes. Well, here's the source of the music. It's still warm. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, this movie just comes out swinging. Like, yeah. it's so oh, funny yeah. from the beginning, man. That's so early in the movie. Too. I am. Morris scored other Mel Brooks films, like History of the World Part 1. He also wrote the score for the cult classic film Clue. That's another Halloween one we can do someday. Oh, yeah. Would be Clue. That's Mm -hmm. such a popular movie. Mm -hmm. Well, that's it. That's really, that's the making of the movie. Oh, boy, oh, boy. The movie was made. And how. Yeah, (laughs) sure, sure was. Okie dokie, time for reception. Yay. We know how we feel about it. Yeah. yeah. Let's see how everybody else feels about it. Yeah. Young Frankenstein premiered on December 15th, 1974. It grossed about $86.2 million during its box office run. Damn. Pretty for a movie good that was only $2, two million. Point, yeah. Smashed. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks to video and DVD releases, the movie continued to stay popular even with audiences too young to have seen the original Frankenstein. It currently holds a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Many critics consider to be Mel Brooks's funniest movie. The film was nominated for two Oscars, Best Sound and Best Adapted Screenplay. It won Best Horror Film, Best Supporting Actor, Marty Feldman, Best Director, Best Makeup, and Best Set Decoration at the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films, USA. Nice. Nice. That's good stuff. Marty Feldman won the Saturn Award for Best Actor, Saturn Award. Ooh, Saturn. Yeah. While Cloris Leachman and Madeline Kahn were both nominated for Golden Globes. The movie also won the 1975 Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation. Wow, that's nice. good stuff. Yeah, it won a lot of awards. Yeah. It made a lot of money. So, yeah. Sweet. That was pretty good reception, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So, I'm going to do some fun facts. Oh, boy, oh, boy. There's not very money. Down, 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 and down, down. <laughs> One of these days, we're going to have to, like, decide on a tune. Yeah. <laughs> a thousand handkerchiefs were purchased and passed out to the crew. This was so that they could shove them in their mouths to stifle laughter during takes. <laughs> wow. Some scenes took at least nine takes before they got to the final product because someone was laughing whether it was the cast or the crew. Wow. Gosh. Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's hilarious, man. Dude, I know I've heard a lot of people who work in comedy for shows and movies and stuff where a lot of them like it when they can like get the crew. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They'll yeah. do something yeah. funny enough to break the crew. And yeah. they, they, they love that stuff. They know that it's working or whatever. But yeah. imagine... Just <laughs> to the point where they can't stop laughing. Yeah. They can't get over that it. That is crazy. Yeah. yeah, there were scenes or pe- parts where people had to leave the room and stuff. Yeah, it's they like, get out of here. Yeah. The, um, that's what Mel Brooks was like. Yeah, I mean, it was great because we knew that the movie was actually going to be successful. Yeah. Because yeah. it was like, we knew it was funny. Mm-hmm. He was like, you yeah. could have the greatest movie, greatest cinematography, greatest acting, but it not be funny. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this we knew was funny because everyone around us couldn't stop couldn't laughing. Stop. <laughs> yes. Peter Boyle met his future wife on the set of Young Frankenstein. She was a reporter for Rolling Stone magazine on assignment to write an article from about Mel Brooks. Oh, that's nice. so sweet. There's actually a set photo of them together Aww. when when they met, which is so sweet. And I believe they stayed married until his death in 2006. Aww. Yeah. When Dr. Frankenstein's fiance, Elizabeth, arrives at Transylvania, there's a scene where Igor, played by Marty Feldman, bites the fox around Elizabeth's Madeline Kahn's neck. This was improvised, and it caused the entire cast and crew <laughs> to break down in laughter. They tried the scene several times, with Mel Brooks himself trying not to ruin the takes. <laughs> At one point, Gene Wilder burst out laughing because he saw that Feldman had completely bit off the fox's foot and it was just in his mouth. Oh my Feldman God. was a vegetarian and he worriedly asked, it's not a real fox, is it? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and Mel Brooks was like biting his arm oh. to keep him from laughing. Dude. Amazing. <laughs> I wish I could have been on the set. And yeah, it's right. been so much fun. Igor, would you give me a hand with the bags? Certainly. You take the blonde and I'll take the one in the Taven. <laughs> Stop that. I'm talking about the luggage. Yes, master. Uh, I've yeah. seen I've seen some of the outtakes for that scene. That's I'm gonna have to Dang. watch. Yeah, they <laughs> definitely gonna have to watch that's what i'm gonna be doing after this yeah (laughs) yeah um and like one of the things that they did too to make sure that like gags worked was that they were have they had all these test audiences Mm -hmm. and what they would do is they would go to like the set and they would pull out secretaries and like people who worked in mail rooms and stuff and they would have them watch the the movie and like clips of the movie and see how they reacted and that was how that kind of helped them figure out what to keep. Yeah. And what okay. That's cool. Nice. Yeah, because it was like what what are the everyday somebody who's not on the set every day, somebody mm-hmm. who's not, yeah. you know, and also Making not sure a high up executive, mm-hmm. not somebody who, right. you know, we want people Wants who, to control it. Yes, the yeah. people who are going to pay money to see this. Like, yeah. what do they think? They need the everyman example. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and because, and, and like, if they hadn't done that, like, because they had test audiences mm-hmm. who responded well to the jokes, they kept in things like the walk this way gag. Yeah. They were going to take that out, but the audience liked it. You know, the same thing with, like, the putting on the Ritz gag. They were going to yeah. take that out, you know. But All right. Any uh, last thoughts, last things we want to talk about for Young Frankenstein? It's it's a classic comedy that gets laughs from me every time. <laughs> and sometimes I go a chunk of time between watching because it's, like, around Halloween every yeah. time. Yeah. So sometimes I'll forget, like, oh yeah, that is part of this movie. Or oh, <laughs> I now I remember that joke, and it's just like, it's all not quite like watching it for the first time every time, but it, it yeah, it still brings that feeling yeah. of like just seeing this hilarious thing, yeah, again, and it just I don't know, it, it's so funny, but in a way, it's framed in a way where. Despite it being a comedy, it's still very. It's perfect for watching it at Halloween. It's a perfect representation of Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With sprinkle of jokes. It's. it's, (laughs) I don't know what else can you say. It's. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. 
There yeah. is, yeah, it's, you know, I remember we talked about the original Bride of Frankenstein mm-hmm. and how James Whale kind of made that as a parody. Mm-hmm. And they took that and then they made it even more of a parody in this. Yeah. Which is insane. Right, right. <laughs> yes. Like, you know. I mean, they, they even gave her, like, two stripes of, yes. like, lighter hair after she had been taken by yes. the monster. Yes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, nowadays, or if you think about some of the parodies that have come out mm-hmm. in, the, in recent years, a lot of the time, these parodies are just joke after joke after joke after mm-hmm. joke after mm-hmm. joke. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But this is not like that. This mm-hmm. movie is an homage mm-hmm. to classic horror movies. Yep. That's also funny. Like, that's it. Like, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It, ha- it has its own story. Yeah, really. like, they're lampooning it. Yeah. But they're not doing it in such a way where that's the only thing we're seeing. Right. It's yeah. A, it's not like a, the scary movie mm-hmm. franchise yeah. or whatever. Yeah. There's still like a sweetness to it. There's still mm-hmm. a sincerity to it. Yeah. You know, you still feel that there is like, you know, we still have some of those themes of, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, we probably shouldn't be doing things like this. Yeah. And, you know, yep. <laughs> man versus nature and, you know, all yeah. of, like, you know, being right. respectful to the original story mm-hmm. and not being like, well, Frankenstein's still stupid like that's not what they're saying no and and yeah so it works really well because it's just an enjoyable movie that's yeah. funny yeah. yeah and i think a nice showing of that is the the scenes where he's frank or frankenstein's monster is with the little girl yeah you know they're at the well and they're throwing the little petals in <laughs> yeah. and then she's like what do we throw in next and he looks at the camera like <laughs> He's like, I you mean, know what I'm thinking. I mean, obviously, you know, like, come on, you know, kind of paying homage <laughs> to the original, where like they kind of leave that ending up in the air a little bit, mm-hmm. right? They kind right. of like show the, him with the little girl, and then they, you know, yeah, because he drowns her, yeah, mm-hmm. in the original. Um, yeah, but this one, they gave her a very sweet ending where she just ends up <laughs> flying through the air into the into bed where her parents find her, you know, yeah, and everything's fine. sleeping and it's fine, yeah, um, everything's okay, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it is. I mean, but it is. It's like it's, yeah. they're they're kind of poking fun, like you know, yeah. well, duh. Like, what, what did you think was going to happen? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a fun twist, but it's yeah. like we were talking about earlier, where those those beats are still there. Mm-hmm. You know what you'd expect from the story of Frankenstein yeah. is still there. Yeah, it just has the comedy twist, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. what makes it. Beautiful. And they were able to take this movie that scared them when they were kids. Yep. Mm-hmm. They were able to make fun of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they also got to change aspects of it and yeah. get, put their own endings. The little yep. girl doesn't die. Mm-hmm. Um, Frankenstein, like the do- Dr. Frankenstein doesn't die. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, like they were able to change that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Every year, young Frankenstein rises from the operating table and sparks a lot of laughter during the spooky season. (laughs) It's a film that bridges multiple generation gaps, even appealing to audiences too young to have seen the original Frankenstein. This film has gags for everyone, niche jokes that might fly over the heads of younger viewers, and timeless goofs that could bring out the child in anyone. Not only is Young Frankenstein a successful comedy, it's a movie with a lot of heart. It's not an endless parade of silliness, but instead a lovingly dedicated homage to the original, but with a lot of laughs. This isn't just a movie that people love to watch. It was a movie that was made by people who were having the time of their lives. 
Every time we turn it on, we can feel the energy of a cast and crew that loved what they were making. It's a creation that has taken on a legacy of its own. It's almost as if you can say that the movie itself is alive. Alive. <laughs> alive. <laughs> Throw the third switch. <laughs> Not the third switch. <laughs> <laughs> Throw it away. Brilliant. <laughs> All right. And so with that, that's another case closed. Can't get better. Wow. <laughs> that's about as good as it gets, folks. Yeah, yeah. baby. Snap. Welcome All right. back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everyone who has listened. You can always visit our website, blackcasediaries.com. We want to thank all of our amazing patrons. We've got John, JD, Anthony, Shelly, Bob, Jaron, and Jacob. Thank you guys so much. If you want to also participate in our Patreon, we have lots of stuff up there. We're getting some snacks of the week, you know, in there as well. You can visit those. Those ones are free for everyone, but, you know, maybe a little little nibble to get you get you get you to get to the good stuff yeah. you know uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah that's true so <laughs> get it because snacks yes. and nibbling oh is that yeah. <laughs> 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 visit us there <laughs> and uh yeah there it is all right thanks, thanks. guys Bye. Goodbye. <laughs> until next time What a filthy job. Could be worse. How? Could be raining.